0: Welcome back to another episode here on the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. Micah, it is once again awards season. Welcome back.
1: It's always a pleasure to have me on. Dude, it is time to try and recount what's happened in a crazy and wacky first half of the NBA season. And no way to start better off than talking about the awards because it's time to commemorate those that have actually been in that upper echelon of the NBA whether or not it's solely based on reputation, because we have a lot of different factors to try and decipher and choose from, because I don't know how to really, you know, judge a player who's that good, but has played less than 70% of their team's games, or they're just getting back to full health. And this MVP race feels about as wide open at the halfway mark as it has in recent memory, well, or you
0: could put Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons on your All NBA guards and call it a day. Can we just do that?
1: <laughs> yeah, you, or you can make, yeah the first team all non-playing up until a couple of nights ago. You could start Kyrie at the one, Clay at the two, maybe and we, and now. Clay's can we, back, can we, can we do just,
0: TJ Warren and Jonathan Isaac? Because we haven't heard anything from them in sixteen months. And then for center, for center, we'll just like
1: <laughs> so TJ Warren, Jonathan Isaac, and. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is done for the rest of this year, and I still haven't heard anything about Brooke Lopez, even though the Bucs cut DeMarcus Cousins just this past week.
0: Yeah. So you hinted at it best. We are doing arguably the most difficult pod probably of the entire season, which is the midseason awards pod. It's complicated for a lot of reasons, and you said it best. There's a combination of young talent that's really taking over, the mainstay of veterans, you know, your Steph Curry's, your Lebrons that are still freaking good after all these years, and then this third component, which is the unknowns. We've got guys who are good stats on bad teams. You have a, the guy like CP3, where he's like statistically toward the bottom, but hey, the Suns are a one C, and he's the reason why. You have the weird stuff with like Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, all these guys where. The, the resumes just have so much to put on it. There's a lot of weight on those. And then you said it best, this MVP race, when we did this back in, I want to say a month ago, there was a clear kind of hierarchy. And it seems like now I went from having five to seven guys in the mix from top five to almost 10 or 11. Now. I think now we're seeing a normalized uh, ballot here. We'll start with this. What was the most difficult thing, to decide between the MVP ballot and or the All-NBA ballot for your list?
1: So I understand that there's a gauntlet of different guards that can go onto All-NBA teams. And first off, I want to say that I am not a supporter of having set positions on All-NBA teams. I think that having other roles like shot creator, play finisher, off-ball, bullet guard, rim protector, other things like that would help create the best five that you can put on the floor for first, second, and third team, etc. But for me, it was deciphering between who makes it at the forward spot, because outside of KD and Giannis, that's been kind of a lacking position. Now, LeBron, I would assume, is on both of ours, and we'll get to that in a moment. But there's really a, a real drop-off, I believe, in terms of the forward play from those three players to everybody else this season because Paul George is hurt, Kawhi is obviously hurt, Tatum has been below league average in basically everything when it comes to his shooting splits, although very recently he's starting to pick it up again. And there are a bunch of other guys that were just kind of we've come to use as the mainstays for this position – we're trying to figure out what's happening with Chris Middleton as well, whether or not he's still at that NBA, all NBA level. And that was just the biggest bugaboo for me is trying to figure out which players I think have been the six best forwards in the game this season. And then if Draymond actually counts as a forward or more of a center and what kind of play style would be the actual difference between those two positions.
0: I am so glad you brought that up because what's ironic about this, we'll get to DeMar DeRozan on the all-star ballots. He's listed as a guard, but he's played more forward than guard all year. And it's funny because I, spoiler alert, slotted him as a forward because he's played the majority forward. And I also need to make room for these guards who I can't leave off. Like it was weird having hypothetically, because I didn't have it on my list, but it was weird almost putting Jason Tatum above guys like, Devin Booker and Zach Levine and, like, just better guards who have been way more impactful this season. The other thing that stood out to me is how to decipher the guys that started off slow. Like, Luca, for instance, has quietly actually been very good the past, like, couple weeks now that he's been back from this injury. What do I do with him? James Harden. Like, there's a case in which he can be all-NBA second team or not on the all-NBA list at all, like, depending on how you really think about it. There's a bunch of names this year that I think are really crucial. So I'm glad we kind of got some of these difficulties aside, we can jump right into it. This is the most important part of this podcast, probably the MVP ballot. Again, back in our first pod, we did the quarter mark awards. We felt there was a pretty clear number one, a drop off for two to four, and then that wide open fifth spot. Things are a lot more interesting now, shall we say for our ballots this time, I think. And again, we have not talked about this beforehand, so I will let you take the floor first, Micah. Who is your MVP at the halfway point of the season?
1: Oh, so some of me wants to say that this is more of a predictive award, even at the midway point, because I think that this player will wind up winning the award. When we did this pod at the quarter mark, I think both of us had Steph Curry either as number one or number two. We, we I had a number one, yep. And I had him number one as well. So I don't even have him in my top two anymore. Wow. I have, <laughs> I have Giannis Antetokounmpo as the MVP at the midway point of this league. So to me, he is the only player who has a legitimate argument as a top five offensive player, as well as being a top three defender in the league. So right away, you're talking about probably the most impactful two-way player in the game. He's also, in terms of the upper echelon of players, alongside DeMar DeRozan and Nikola Jokic, and even Fred Van Fleet this season, in terms of on off splits, he's the only player who is the singular difference between their team being a finals level 60 plus win team in terms of win pace and win differential versus being a team that is a lottery team when they're off of the floor. So, counting all of the stats that we normally think that he posts every night, it's 28, 11, and 6. We've come to almost take it for granted these last few years, even though it's still absurd. And one of the reasons why his team has been able to stay afloat, be it they've missed time from Giannis, they've missed time from Middleton, holidays and health and safety protocols, They are getting good minutes, essentially, from Jordan, Nawara and George Hill, although I don't know if anybody expects that that's going to continue, but the thing that stands out to me that puts Giannis slightly ahead of the pack is he has taken those head-to-head matchups and taken them personally against players such as Kevin Durant, such as Anthony Davis, such as Joel Embiid even once this season. And has those singular performances that are MVP worthy on the biggest stages. And to me, that's able to put him slightly ahead of other candidates that also have strong arguments.
0: This is a fascinating case study for MVP because we've seen this before in the past where guys just get underrated. I'm thinking Jordan in 97 when he loses the call on Malone. I'm thinking, you know, Shaq in 05, Kobe in 06, just some of these seasons where the guy either the narrative just isn't there for him or he wins so many times that we kind of neglect. Like Kareem when he wins like three in a or like two in a row and then there's a year where he doesn't win it because Bob McAdoo wins. And it's like, how did Bob McAdoo win? Different things like that. My hardest decision was what you just said right now. I had Steph Curry as my MVP personally, but Giannis was a clear number two. And the debate I had was who was more valuable to their team? And ultimately the reason I went with Steph Curry is that statistically I think out of him Giannis and then we put Duran Jokic kind of in that conversation he's probably the worst statistically but the Warriors system the the reason for their success is just having Steph Curry on the floor he's having his best defensive season ever in his career shooting wise the fact that he's taking 13 to 14 three-pointers a game is absolutely ludicrous without him the Warriors just don't have any offensive system whatsoever and they're relying on As much as we love the Golden State depth, you know, it was Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole and Otto Porter. It's like their names, but they've also like they're not at the peak of their powers anymore, shall we say, relative to a couple of years ago. But then the argument I've also had is that we I remember we mentioned this on our quarter marks pod. The Bucs supporting cast is quietly not that good. It's one of those work they miss Middleton for a couple of games, Drew Holiday for a couple of games. They haven't had Brooke Lopez all year they kind of don't have an identity they're missing a couple key pieces and they're bringing back even they're bringing back some of these guys the stats for Giannis are pretty insane 29 points 11 rebounds six assists arguably a defensive player of the year candidate i mean easily top three and the bucks are still 26 and 17 despite all the injuries so there is a case to be made there i've got Giannis too though so i'm glad you brought that Who did you, I'm guessing you had Kevin Durant in number two or Jokic. It's definitely, do you have that four kind of been your MVP ballot, that top
1: four still? So there's a wrinkle that I'll get to in a moment, but actually (laughs) my
0: second
1: second candidate is DeMar DeRozan. Oh my God, here we go. (laughs) So this is one of the reasons why I think that my MVP ballot is mostly different than a lot of people is I focus a lot more on clutch time situations as well as on-off splits and their statistical significance versus the rest of their season, as well as their team. I think that the narrative works often this season in DeMar DeRozan's favor. And I'm not going to say at least knock on wood that it will catch up to him in the playoffs, the same way that Paul George's MVP March in 2018 caught up to him that year. I will say that DeMar has been the single most clutch player in the league this season. Obviously he became the first player in the shot clock era to have back-to-back buzzer beaters. But aside from that, he's shooting over 64% true shooting during clutch time. He has been the best mid-range shooter, even over Kevin Durant specifically this season. And the one thing that I think that he has going for him more than any other player in this race is while Steph Curry is probably going to be the best player on best team, which normally equals the... MVP in most years I think that DeMar DeRozan's case is made even stronger by his on-off splits whereas when he's on the floor the Chicago Bulls are the number six defense and they're also the number two offense then when you take them off the floor they are outside of the top half offensively and outside of the top 20 defensively and this is not a guy that we've ever come to know as basically any kind of a defensive force only he has had to step up and take that role during the time when Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball have both missed time this season. DeMar DeRozan is another player that you can arguably say is one of the better every night kind of players in terms of perfect attendance. He, Kevin Durant, and Giannis have all played 34 games, and he is the one that has contributed the most to winning out of those three players who – In my opinion, that earns him the silver medal when it comes to the MVP race at the halfway mark.
0: So DeRozan was an interesting candidate for me. So spoiler alert, he made my top five. What's interesting, though, is I definitely framed this completely differently than you did. I had him as number five on my ballot. He was the last guy in. I agree with you wholeheartedly. He had to be in the ballot this year because the Bulls have exceeded expectations. They are the one seed right now. The, the metrics point for as much as that team is very talented, DeMar DeRozan is the reason why they've been so good this year. The clutchness, the ability to just be a good shot maker for that team, and this Bulls team, keep in mind, we all had – a lot of people had them as more of like a 7-6 seed than they had them as a, what, one seed and what, top five record in all of the NBA – If you had told me they would have been a top five to ten defense, I thought you would have been on drugs, but here they are, and they're one of the best offenses in the league. The the issue I have with DeMar being so high, and it's not even a criticism on your ballot, it's just my personal take. This is, however, a one-year sample. Like, we've seen it before with both Curry, Giannis, Durant, and Jokic who are all ahead of me, all ahead of DeMar on my list, in that when it comes to the postseason, those guys have just done it. Whereas DeMar, it's like, I just need to see a bit more. Now, if we're three-quarters of the way in the season, the Bulls are still the one seed. I might have Jokic in, like, the top three. Like, I think you kind of have to make that conversation notable. But the sample size is just too small to me. Do you have any pushback to that, or is there some legitimacy to that?
1: So, I would say that the sample size is a fair argument. The one thing that I would push back and say on that is, if all we're talking about is term, in terms of sample size with DeMar – I don't really see how playing 34 out of 37 games could be something that's used as a knock against him. That's the same amount of games that Giannis and Kevin Durant have played. Even Jokic has missed a couple of games this season and he was Mr. Perfect Attendance last year. Another guy that you could probably throw into the mix just by virtue of the fact that they're not playing also strengthens their case would be Rudy Gobert. And we'll get back we'll probably get to this further down our ballots, but It's another one of those debates which is most impactful versus most valuable versus best and how you really decipher between those three words that in a way mean the same thing but often have different connotations to NBA fans that think about the game slightly differently.
0: Yeah, I will say as my personal like note, if there's a tiebreaker where I'm like, who should I rank above this guy I always just go who do I think is the better player and I think DeMar definitely got. I'm not going to say screwed on that, but definitely that hammered home a lot on my about. With that said, though, I'm so glad DeMar's getting the credit he finally deserves because the one thing I pointed to with the Chicago Bulls team, all of their top players were good players on teams that just got no media. If you think about Vucevic in Orlando, Lonzo with the Pelicans, uh, DeMar especially with San Antonio where people forgot that he was quietly getting better every year and nobody just like knew about it. This Bulls team is very good, and I'm very scared for the playoffs if I'm a Heat fan or if they held. They could make the finals this year. It's not out of the – if Milwaukee and Brooklyn aren't healthy and Miami is going to be this unhealthy too, there is a world which Chicago makes it. So I'm glad we have both DeMar on our top five ballots. So I've got Curry and Giannis in my top two. You've got Giannis as your number one. DeMar is your number two. Who's your number three?
1: My number three is KD. Real quick, I also
0: also have Durant as my number three as well. Okay.
1: Yeah, I think that everything that he's done this season, we've just kind of come to taking it for granted, similar to Giannis, where he's just posting jaw-dropping numbers every night. His mid-range shot is as good as it has been in the years past. He's not playing like a guy that came off of an Achilles tear less than a year ago. And to me... One of the things that set his case apart in terms of just a slight dip behind is Kevin Durant this season has been basically a neutral in terms of a defensive player. When you look at how their defense guards pick and roll versus how they guard spot up shooters, the Brooklyn Nets this season, they allow the third most open threes. And the fact that other teams are still shooting relatively low percentage on those threes That doesn't spell well for just the laws of averages when it comes to open shooting in the NBA. Well, I
0: will say, if you're playing LaMarcus Soldiers and Blake Griffin 20 minutes a night, you are going to expect some uh, defensive lapses, shall we say.
1: (laughs) Well, here's the thing. They're using Kevin Durant more in terms of a drop coverage big, and that's something that Nicholas Claxton is supposed to be, or maybe even a switching big, depending on how he's actually guarding those kinds of plays. But Kevin Durant this season has taken a step backwards defensively, especially off the ball. And when I'm talking about him going up against Giannis, who's better than him defensively, and some would say better in terms of just going to the rack offensively, or it's maybe in a it maybe even a push there in terms of the scoring stats. But I just don't see how – His team, essentially, with being a bad defensive team, as we've seen them become in these last few games, the Nets are the only team that's really slumping to the degree where I can tell you I don't see them really becoming this juggernaut force that they're totally supposed to be. Kevin Durant gets the number three in terms of my MVP ballot, and I can't put him any higher at this point.
0: So I'm on the basically the same wavelength as you. My logic was that I think three is the perfect spot for him. I think he needs to be on the ballot just for the simple fact that that Nets team is low-key kind of not good. James Harden for as much as he's gotten better is still definitely not the same post hamstring problems that he had last year. The Kyrie thing, I'm sorry, is just so stupid where he plays road games and then can't play home games. Not that it's not like, or whatever I'm saying, just from a team perspective, the continuity is just horrible. Their centers are Nick Claxton, James Johnson, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Pumpkin Blake Griffin. They don't really have any bigs. Joe Harris has been out. Quietly, what I've noticed is that Brooklyn actually is one of the worst three-point shooting teams. Like, for them having all this offense, they're actually kind of one of the worst three-point both attempts and makes, which is very scary for a playoff matchup where they can't shoot that well. This team isn't really all that talented, especially in their top eight. So Kevin Durant leading the league in scoring. He's still almost at 50-40-90. He's at 52-37-89, and he's putting up a 38-6. and Those are pretty important stats, and I think that secures him for sure. It's the reason why I couldn't rank him lower than third person. I'm kind of going the reverse of you. I couldn't rank him lower than third just because of that alone. So I'm glad we also have Durant securely in there. And I do think real quick, there is a concern that the Brooklyn Nets, as much as I love KD having arguably his best year ever regular season wise, it is concerning if you're a Brooklyn fan that they are putting KD through so many miles in meaningless games and we are only in January.
1: That is correct. We're at the halfway point. And another thing that I think has kind of gotten swept under the rug is the coldest shooter on the team. These last few games has been Patty Mills. Now I don't think that that's something that's going to continue because he's still been able to get quality looks at the basket recently. But if that's a guy that's legitimately your heat check guy in terms of coming off the bench, that's fine. But if they're now having to rely on him to play at the end of games, aside from playing against the useless Lakers defense.
0: Yeah, I was just saying, like, if if Westbrook's guarding him, Mills will stay a heat check guy.
1: (laughs) That is correct. But there are some guys, especially like Joe Harris last season, who saw probably an unrealistic regression when it came to the playoffs where he just could not find the basket. He was probably shooting like he was blind. But I just don't see that as something where – you could legitimately have that much of a drop-off and it actually change. But like I said, Kevin Durant is doing everything that we've come to take for granted with that offense. And it could pick up. Their defense, on the other hand, the more that Kyrie plays, the worse it gets. That's what I said about a couple of weeks ago before he made his season debut, and I haven't seen anything different.
0: Yeah, and the funny thing is I'm excited for the – the rules, I think, knock on wood, probably won't change for COVID in the playoffs. When it comes to it, imagine we get Bucks, Nets in the conference semifinals, and Brooklyn has home court, and it's Game Seven, and Kyrie can't play. Like I'm, the fact that that's a reality still is hilarious.
1: <laughs> no, I, I say that, and I bring up kind of another weird idea: is if you're Brooklyn and you know that you're just not as good as you actually think that you are understanding the fact that it's at least finals or bust this season, if not championship or bust, as long as you have those three guys healthy, would you potentially punt the last month of the season so that you are the fourth or fifth seed versus the first or second seed, knowing that you may have to play a game seven without Kyrie if you are the home team? Well, and to back it up
0: real quick, if this keeps up, Chicago's
1: the one seed
0: out of Miami, Milwaukee, Chicago. I probably want to face Chicago out of those three, just given what I know so far. Not the craziest idea in the world. Not going to lie. And if you look at the East, there's clearly a top four, and then it falls off a cliff with, like, what? Hawks, Celtics, Hornets. Uh, all That whole hodgepodge it's- of mediocre, mediocrity. So I'm, I, I don't think it's a horrible idea. Other crazy idea, can the Nets just trade Kyrie for, like, Ben Simmons or some other guy? Like, can they – like, what, what? like if you're Dallas, you're in a state that doesn't have any vaccination requirement, wouldn't you want Kyrie with Luke? I, I'm, I'm going through the, the, the what-if scenarios here, but the Kyrie factor, it's just never been done in history where this guy is an arguably top 15 player and he can't play in more than half the team's games. Like, have we
1: ever seen this before? Well, we've seen it basically in lockout seasons when there were basically half the games to be played, but – Not in this fashion, and I've never also heard of the idea that I brought up of maybe the team loses for their own good, not even because they're tanking the season away, but just because they're tanking for better playoff chances. Now, the Brooklyn Nets, one thing that would be able to be backed up by that case for what they're doing is they are the best road team in the NBA while they're just 11 and 10 at home, and their net rating at home is net rating, haha. Is (laughs) is <laughs> average, and if you're looking at them in terms of what they want to do this is a team that's probably facing more pressure than anyone else in the entire league the jazz are probably the team that faces the second most pressure this season i'm not sure what the future of the franchise is especially if they come up short and don't even make the conference finals again this season so,
0: well, real quick, with the elephant in the room being that Harden and Kevin, or Harden and what, Kyrie still have not signed contract extensions? Yep, exactly. <laughs> what, what, what yeah, these? <laughs> it's an uncertain summer as well. Yeah, so we'll have to see what happens with them. So uh, we're almost at the halfway mark, uh, 30 minutes in. We haven't even done all NBA yet. So I say we can wrap it up like this. We we both have Curry, Giannis, Durant, Amar at some order in our ballot. Who is the fifth guy on your ballot?
1: Fifth guy for me is Nikola Jokic.
0: Real quick, also have him in my ballot number four.
1: Okay. Yeah, so fifth guy for me is Nikola Jokic. An honorable mention goes to LeBron James, who is basically – I mean, the Lakers, since they decided to go to him at the five, have only lost one game, and they have the number one offense in basketball. Granted, their defense has been atrocious the entire season, regardless of who's on the floor. But Nikola Jokic – is actually a guy who used to not be able to play defense, whereas now, aside from Gobert and Miles Turner, as well as Jakob Pirtle, surprisingly this season, has (laughs) been one of the five best defenders when it comes to playing center. And offensively, he's as good as ever. And no matter who the Nuggets throw out there in terms of the other four guys around him, they have a plus net rating when he's on the floor and minus – when he's off by a mile. They're essentially a 50 plus win team better when he's on the floor in terms of outscoring the opponent than when he's off the floor. And to me, that is signaling value. And that's one of the reasons why the Denver Nuggets may mess around and still find themselves in the playoffs, even without their second, third, and maybe even their fourth best player.
0: Yeah, if Will Barton is your second best player, arguably on your team, I do have a couple questions about what's going on. Is it crazy that, uh, what's the guy, like Marquise Howard or Marcus Howard might be like their third best guy, if Aaron Gordon, you know.
1: (laughs) Right, so it'd be Aaron Gordon. I guess you could make the argument that Faku Campazo, or Austin Rivers would be the third one. By the way,
0: Austin Rivers was out of the league last season, and the Nuggets signed him, and he was playing 30 minutes a night against the Blazers.
1: <laughs> well, when that was the Blazers. At a point, you just have to realize that we can try to lose every game, and Nikola Jokic has us.
0: Real quick, uh, Jokic, 26-14-7. and seven shooting splits are insane 56% from the field 36% from 3 and uh, 77% from the line and denver is still a top 6 in the west despite murray being out the whole time porter played nine games he's out they lost a couple guys more to injury including uh what was the uh uh oh my god i'm blanking on the big small forward that tore out his acl they're playing Compazzo and Austin. Oh,
1: okay. Dozier, towards ACL, but that was like a few weeks ago. Yeah,
0: Dozier. They, they don't have him. They don't have any depth.
1: Who is also getting his contract extended.
0: Yeah, so they don't have a team, and they're still doing pretty well. So I think it's safe to say we have those five. So real quick, some honorable mentions, and then we'll run through the top five once again. Super-duper close honorable mention was LeBron James. If the Bulls were a third seed, LeBron would be on my ballot. That's the bottom line. But because the Bulls have just been so good, it sucks that LeBron is averaging a 29-7-7 and and is the second-leading scorer, and I have to leave him off the ballot. But I do factor in – this. I don't know if this is fair or not. I want to hear your thoughts. I do factor in that LeBron wanted Russell Westbrook on the team. And they could have had Buddy Heald at a cheaper premium. And your team performance matters on the MVP bout. And you deciding to go with Westbrook over Buddy Heald and keeping one of KCP, Harrell, or Kuzma, that has to affect your league standing, right? Is that crazy?
1: So at this point, the best perimeter non-small guy that the Lakers have defensively is Stanley Johnson, now, who knows what Anthony Davis will be when he comes back. And if he comes back, will LeBron still play a small five and they'll put AD more on the perimeter or what happens at that moment. But the Lakers don't have any perimeter point of attack resistance. Avery Bradley can sometimes sit in a chair and play defense for five minutes, but that's the team that you watch and there's more effortless blowbys than any team this side of the Jazz minus Gobert. And I just... I still have questions about the team, but LeBron is not one of them. Offensively, he's playing as well as he has since his Miami Heat days, and that's just scary because watching 2018 LeBron that last year in Cleveland I thought would be the last truly great LeBron season at the time, and he's just one of those guys that every year finds a way to add something new to his game. I mean, LeBron this season is shooting almost eight three-point attempts a game and is within two percentage points of Stephen Curry from the three-point line.
0: He's at 37% on eight attempts again, which is freaking ridiculous. And somehow the LeBron at center lineups have not been killed defensively, and they're scoring 100 almost 30 points a game, which is even crazier. So LeBron was a tough out for me. A couple other guys, this is in no particular order, but just for the context of our my about at least, Chris Paul. Okay. The Suns are, you know, a top top two seed in the West. He's putting up a double-double every night, but still not statistically a good case. I have your guy Rudy Gobert on there, just from the fact yeah. that without Gobert, in terms of most valuable player, he is one of the most valuable players in the league. And you've seen for firsthand that when you start Hassan Whiteside instead of Rudy Gobert, there is a uh, – you are more the Sacramento Kings than you are the Utah Jazz. So I got him on the list. And also, real quick, he's averaging a 16-15. and 15 like what the hell he's doing really good Uh,
1: Fifteen on 70 plus percent shooting which by the way has never been done i spoke with the jazz beat reporter last week when gobert originally went to health and safety protocols and his immediate reaction was the jazz are about to go on a stretch where rudy watches them make him a solid defensive player of the year case
0: which he, he's number, I mean, we'll sneak, we'll get to that, but he's definitely in the conversation for me easily. Some other guys, John ja Morant, okay. the Grizzlies, man, are really good. And I know that they're the surprise team besides Cleveland this year, but even with all the hype, I remember that the, when John ja came back from the injury, the Grizzlies lost three in a row and there was that stupid, the Grizzlies are better without job ja crap that's out there. He's averaging a 25, six and seven dude. And the Grizzlies are the fourth seed in the West and if you had told me that the Grizzlies would be the fourth seed in the West, you would have thought – you forgot to put a one in the beginning and thought 14. They've exactly. been good this year. Um, And then two more guys, Joel Embiid. The Sixers actually are a top 60 in the East again. They're on a seven-game win streak, and he's averaging, by the way, a 27-11-4. And, and he's, again, without Embiid. That team quietly also does not have any good bench players, and they're really missing Ben Simmons right now. Saw this stat earlier – they are actually one of the worst rebounding teams ever in the league. I think they're like 29th or 28th. But when they had Ben Simmons, they were like number four. So they're missing out on him for sure. We'll get to Ben Simmons, by the way. It's a trade episode. We're going to have our Ben Simmons talk later. Last guy, probably on the bottom of this list, but Luka Doncic, even with all the injury struggles, he's averaging a 25, 8, and 9. And Dallas is also on a six-game win streak. And now they're some, they've come back to normalcy. Uh, also, Dallas Mavericks, a top – 12 defense who would have thought
1: (laughs) okay so there was a stretch a couple of weeks ago when the Dallas Mavericks were the number one defense for over a two-week stretch and there were games where you could literally see guys such as you know Dwight Powell and Josh Green who's a rookie as well as the occasional Reggie Bullock and Luka Doncic stop where you started to have for the first time in your Luka Doncic with the Mavericks career, the thought of, could this game and this team win games by playing defense? That was not a thought that you would have ever had before. And that's one of the reasons why they could be a more feared opponent moving forward this season. Now, we'll see what they do at the dread- at the deadline and whether or not Kristaps is here for their foreseeable future and what they do if if Jalen Brunson is a guy that could be moved for an even better asset similar to that playing off the ball.
0: Well, you know, it's funny is that the comp for Luka this whole season has been LeBron 2007, where the team was molded around guys who can defend and shoot threes. You're looking at this team. What this season has proven is that if Dallas has Luka and hopefully a second ball handler, whether it's Jalen Brunson or Tim Hardaway, whatever, and they are just hot for a, a ten game stretch. They are easily a top three team in the West. They there is a case that they could make the finals. As dumb as that sounds, in the right series and the right path, they could make be a championship contender if everything plays out well. Now there's going to be regression both on defense. I think it, matchup wise, there's some teams where I'm like they'll get cooked. But I think they are a threat to be taken seriously. So this is the MVP section. I think we should do to wrap it up. I'll give my top five and you can give your top five before we move on to the all NBA. Number one, I had Steph Curry. Number two, Giannis. uh, Kevin Durant was my number three. Jokic, number four, DeMar, number five. I will point out that my top four in my, this ballot is the same top four I had last ballot. I only switched around Giannis and Durant. And then at number five, instead of CP three, I had DeMar DeRozan instead. Uh, How did your ballot shake up one more time?
1: So I had four of the same five players, and actually, the same five players, eight, yeah, all five of the same players at the quarter mark, only in different orders. Now I have Giannis, one, DeRozan, two, Durant, three, Steph, four, and Jokic, five. Although, those kinds of rankings, as long as it's those five players, I think you can mess with the order, and John ja Morant and LeBron, if not for missed time, probably, would be also be in the top five and I would have had to, you know, squeeze out some guys reluctantly. So no Russell Westbrook? <laughs> no Russell Westbrook. Now at this point he's a borderline negative on the floor, which is crazy to say for a former MVP. When they when they started
0: Stanley Johnson at like the end of fourth quarter and are benching Westbrook in like a playoff series, I cannot wait for that to happen. It's gonna be hilarious. So oh, there's
1: be a lot of talk, I mean up until then whether or not Russ is a guy that you can really have on the floor at any point besides the beginning of the second quarter.
0: Yeah. So now let's take off the gloves. If we thought this was the easy part, we got to do the all NBA teams. This is going to be a shit show to keep it lightweight because there's so many ways to go about this. I think the easiest way would be same thing as last time. Let's do the centers first and then the forwards, then the guards. I know you're not much of a positions guy, but at least from that context, we can knock it out slowly, but surely. For centers, I actually think there's a pretty even group of people fighting for it. In some order, you can make the case. It's Jokic, it's Embiid, it's Gobert. And then I had in the mix Carl Anthony Townsend and Jared Allen. Jared Allen has been a I, – I think he should be an all-star. I know we're not doing all-stars, but he's been really freaking good this year, and I think he deserves to be in the third-team All-NBA conversation. My bout in the end shook out. I have Jokic first-team All-NBA without a doubt. And then the tough part was Gobert versus Embiid. I went with Gobert on two fronts. Number one, the Utah is just totally different without Gobert, especially I've noticed with with all due respect to your team, the Rudy Gay at the five or putting in Hassan Whiteside instead just doesn't work. They need a Jeremy Grant or Harrison Barnes. They need another wing who can actually play defense and in theory be a five. So I have Gobert second team, Embiid third team. And then the tiebreaker with Embiid versus the rest, Embiid's just a way better player than Cat and Allen. Jared Allen's been a good player, but we're talking about, you know, a top three center here. There's a cutoff. And Carthy Towns, the Timberwolves have kept, they've been good without him at times, which I think kind of matters, where Embiid, the Sixers fall off a cliff without having him on the team. So that's how my center rotation shook out. How did your all-NBA centers look?
1: They look the exact same in that order. Jokic one, Gobert two, Embiid three. And you're right. The cutoff between Embiid as well as Jarrett Allen, who is having his best season, and Carl anthony Towns, another guy that I would also mention there, would be arguably Miles Turner. I know that the Indiana Pacers have really struggled, but he's also having his best season. But yeah, you're right. Those are the three best guys. I also agree there. The order is kind of unanimous in terms of how you would rank those guys. Jokic is maybe the MVP, depending on who you ask. Gobert is maybe the defensive player of the year, as long as long depending on who you ask. And Joel Embiid is a guy that, under the right circumstances, could be the MVP as well as the defensive player of the year. I will say hearts out to the Heat
0: fans out there. If Bam Adebayo didn't shatter his hand, he also I think would be in that at least frisky 13 All NBA conversation. By the way, we haven't heard from Bam in a minute. Hopefully he's supposed to come back hypothetically soon, right, because it's been almost a month. So hopefully because Miami needs him because, boy, we we need some healthy guys back. But this is where the fun part begins because you said it earlier, the All-NBA forwards this year are hard to pick. Jimmy Butler and Paul George are extended absences. How do I grade that? The Celtics, there's the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, like, hey, they're good, but they're also not living up to their standards. There's the some young guys in there like Mikael Bridges – or pardon me, Miles Bridges, where it's like, hey, the Hornets are a top six seed. You could, th- our third team on NBA isn't that crazy. So let's do it like this. I have Duran and Giannis on my NBA first team for the forward spots. I think you probably have the same right
1: yeah those okay so. are, yeah those two are the forward spots in the number one first team all NBA
0: so this is where things get interesting for me even though like we said DeMar DeRozan on the all-star ballots is a guard to make room for the other guards and because honestly he plays forward I have DeMar DeRozan as a second team forward with LeBron so I have DeMar and LeBron and all NBA second team forward how about you
1: My second team forwards, and because I think that Levine actually plays more like a forward in terms of my lineup, for my All-NBA ballot is Levine and LeBron, and we'll get to DeRozan in a moment, but he is having the better season of the two, and he's always been known as a two guard, and especially in this system that my first team All-NBA would run, he would be more of a floor spacer rather than a play initiator.
0: I will say toughest decision on this pod was or on this uh, ballot was Levine because it's it's one of those debates where it's like, hey, if the Bulls are good, do they deserve two guys? It's like, hey, this happens all the time. Like Golden State in years past, Cleveland, hey, if a team's good, how many All-NBA guys do they deserve where that versus who's just the top 15 players? So Levine was a tough pick. He's not on at least a forward for me. So I've got LeBron and DeMar. You have LeBron and Levine. This is the interesting debate. Third-team All-NBA forward, not that many candidates to choose from. There's a couple honorable mentions I've got. I thought this guy would not be on my ballot heading into the midseason pod, but Draymond Green is still an All-NBA third-team guy for me. You look at it, I, the game that stands out to me is just uh, – I want to say it was the Jazz game where it's like the Warriors beat the Jazz, but holy shit, did they miss having Draymond on the court, where – he just needs – he's just such a glue guy. The 8-8-8 eight, eight, and eight stat line looks horrible, but it's like he's their best defender, arguably their best passer if you really think about it, because Curry's more of a pass finisher than a shot, like, you know, playmaker. He's their their smartest IQ guy, maybe besides Iguodala, but I think IQ-wise he's top two on the team. And he's the reason why Golden State has spearheaded a top two defense and a, what, top five-ish offense. I think Draymond – the stati- he there's always going to be one guy maybe two where stats wise they don't look the best but impact wise you got to put them i think draymond deserves it this year and then this leaves me with the most difficult decision of this ballot all nba 13 forward spot number two i gotta go with jason tatum this is the pick that i'm going to step like throw a can at my head later today because i would have went with jimmy butler he got injured what it went with Paul George, he got injured. Jalen Brown is ha- having a really, really good year. But Tatum is still the best guy in Boston. He's averaging a 20, I think, 6, 8, and 4. It's around that range. He's a little inefficient, yes, but the upside's there. He's always been their alpha. And that Boston team, as much as people criticize it, they've just been wildly unhealthy with the COVID absences and that team. And it's a reality of if not him, who? So I'm going to go with Jason Tatum and uh, Jay- Draymond Green here, all in my ramble. How did you kind of go through the thought process of the last spots on your forwards?
1: Oh, okay. So Draymond. That's one way I'll- to say it. It's uh. <laughs> yeah, uh, a good way of putting it. So Draymond is one of the two players that does make it on that team in terms of forwards. Then I come to the same debate in terms of that second spot. I went in a slightly different direction though, because I'll get to the rest of the guys that I have on that lineup. I also don't see any other guy that's actually taken a huge leap forward. And I'm actually going to go with Andrew Wiggins. Oh, my God. Wow. As crazy as it sounds, I don't know if I can really reward Jason Tatum for the way that he has shot the ball poorly for the most part this season. I don't see any way that Jason Tatum has gotten better in terms of a playmaker. I also don't see Boston in terms of a team that has had actual player movement, not to other teams, but actually on the floor. They rank dead last in terms of passes completed during clutch time. Andrew Wiggins, on the other hand, has been the best clutch performer on the Golden State Warriors this season. And Andrew Wiggins is having by far his best offensive and also his best defensive season season. He could make the all-defensive team second team this year alongside Draymond, and I just have a lot more respect for a guy who has been labeled a bust before but is actually in the process of trying to undo that kind of a narrative, and I know that his usage will start to take a slight dip, and like you, I'm probably going to look at this in a week and say, what were you thinking? You should have gone with Jason Tatum. But at this point in the season, I haven't seen enough – From Jason Tatum to the point where I would say I actually think I trust him now moving forward, whereas Andrew Wiggins is a guy that I know I don't really need to trust going forward. So even if he were to somehow make it at the halfway point onto this All-NBA ballot, by the end of the season when his numbers have completely fallen off, I can say there's no reason for me to even make this argument. But at (laughs) at, at the time, he was playing like one of the 15 best players of the season, even though I wouldn't take him over a healthy Jimmy Butler, I wouldn't take him over a healthy Kawhi, I wouldn't take him over a healthy Paul George.
0: I will say real quick, the absence of guys like Anthony Davis and Kawhi and some of those big name players also screws this up because it's like there's the forward depth is low-key on the decline here in the NBA. We're really lacking kind of like true small forwards or, you know, because a lot of guys are more like the Harrison Barnes types where they're more like stretch fours stationary than actual shot creating small forwards and that's why they're so scarce and valuable i will say real quick i thought you were going to go with the crazy triple guard death lineup like 2008 or 1920 okc i thought you were going to go there and i will say as much as i disagree with this pick entirely we did all both have julius randall on all nba teams last year so if julius randall can make it i think we can make an exception this time with andrew wiggins <laughs>
1: Okay, unlike Randall, though, Wiggins actually is a guy that has taken leaps and bounds better on the defensive end. Randall, for once in his life, was actually playing alongside good defensive players. And while Andrew Wiggins is playing alongside Draymond, as well as son of Gary Payton, as well as JTA and a bunch of other guys that just fit their roles, Andrew Wiggins has been the guy, for the most part, that has taken on the challenge of guarding the other team's best player. And for a team that used to have Clay Thompson do that, and who knows if Clay will get back to that level this season defensively, that means a whole lot when you're talking about a guy that's not that's starting to play actual season basketball as a guy that plays off the ball, and I think would work well alongside the other guys that I have on the third team All NBA.
0: I would like to do a research piece on this maybe for our last awards pot of is Joyce Randall the worst one-time All-NBA guy in NBA history? Like, if you actually, like, I have to, like, do the research because I don't know how many guys have only been on the All-NBA team one time, whether it's first, second, or third. There there could be a pretty good argument for that. So I'll I'll get back to you on that later, and hopefully we can have a little text thread on that. But the only reason I didn't have Andrew Wiggins in my conversation personally, this is maybe unfair to Wiggins, but my logic was if I put Wiggins on a random team – is his impact as good on that team as in Golden State, whereas if I put Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum on a random team, I think they'll be a little bit better. Now, I could be wrong because I do agree Wiggins this year has quietly been – as much as I joke about the all-star thing with like it's a joke, Andrew Wiggins does deserve some legitimate all-star consideration. If you actually really look at it, it's not like far-fetched to say that, and I think your are all NBA case – you said it right, the impact on both ends of the floor – Golden State's been good for a lot of reasons. Andrew Wiggins has been one of them. So I'm glad you actually brought his name up in the conversation.
1: Well, the one thing that I will push back on that before we move on here is if Andrew Wiggins were taking more than 21 shots per game, would he be able to not keep up the same efficiency that he's shooting at where he was the number one three-point shooter in the entire league during the month of December? His numbers would probably take a slight dip but I don't think that he would be averaging 25 points per game on 21 shots, which is basically what Jordan Clarkson would shoot if he were coming off and as a starter.
0: So this is the hardest part of the all NBA ballot, the guards. Yep. I kid you not on my ballot. I have the six guards on their spot and then another 14 names that at least I thought of because they deserve it. So I think we both have Steph Curry probably on an all NBA first team position because he's in our MVP conversation, right? Yep. Okay. So now the fun part, five spots for five guards. Who is your other first team guy? Cause I went with Trey young. My rule. So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, okay. By rule, I have DeMar DeRozan playing here as the number two guard. On- he was,
0: he was originally in the spot for me real quick. So yeah, that was the problem. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so did you take him away because of his, I guess, position designation? I took
0: him away because I was like, Demar can be a forward like he actually plays to fit another Garden because my logic was, would I have then Jason Tatum and then like Jalen Brown or Andrew Wiggins on an All NBA team? So my logic was, Demar would still be All NBA second team. I would also make the case. I mean, he's played almost a majority of his minutes at forward too. Even if he plays like a guard position wise, if you're starting Lonzo and Levine, and you add in Caruso sometimes, DeMar is either a small forward or a power forward. So my logic was putting on forward. I will say this is the reason why I freaking hate positions in all NBA teams. They should just do top 15 players in the league. I don't know why we haven't changed this yet.
1: (laughs) Yep, For that exact reason, why the all-star team I guess makes sense because you're trying to figure out who are the best players at each position to fill out who actually goes on the floor because we can see it happen versus – The All-NBA teams, which are slightly more important because they have to do with contract incentives in a lot more different cases. And 30 years from now, people are going to want to look back and say, who were the 15 best players from the 2021-22 season?
0: Well, you know what's funny is that historically, you you know Nate Thurman, like the kick-ass warrior center from the sixties. Yeah,
1: yeah, he was
0: Kareem's kryptonite. Yeah, where and one here's the funny thing: he made like no all he made like a couple. No, he made zero all NBA teams because he peaked during Russell and Wilt, then Wilt and Kareem, and then Kareem and Collins. So he never got an all NBA team, but he was easily a top five player in the league, and he just got screwed by. There was no all NBA third team, and. Every major big center besides Shaq and Hakeem, he played during his time. So, again, this is why this goes back ages of, like, the All-NBA thing needing to be revised. So, you went with DeMar DeRozan. We already hashed him out. I went with Trey Young. I always have this rule personally on my ballot for All-NBA. I'm allowed to have one guy who has a good stats but is not necessarily on the best team. We did this with Blake Griffin. I would argue Joyce Randall technically was that because the Knicks have fallen off a cliff this year. Trey Young, I can't blame for the Hawks' struggles. They're suffering from a case of they have too many guys who are kind of one-way players, especially on offense. They have a, a situation of too many guys who need the ball to shoot, like Cam Reddish, Gallinari, Bodon. They need to kind of do like a two or three for one to kind of clean house. We just saw the report. We'll get into the trade stuff later, but John Collins, the uh, – him being frustrated again because his shots keep going down. I mean, Trey Young put up a 56 and 14 tonight against Portland. They lost the game. So, again, I'm allowed one of these on my personal count. I think you have to kind of have Trey Young in the conversation. So, this leads us into the second team, all NBA guards. Who did you have?
1: So, for a guy that's only playing offense this season, I think you could probably make the case that Trey has been the singular best guard. In the entire NBA this season for that specific reason. I don't know that I can put a guy who is good stats, bad team, though, on my first team all NBA. So I I do have Trey on the second team alongside John Morant. And John Morant is one of those guys where, like I said, alongside LeBron, if not for missed time, would probably be in my top five MVP conversation, guys, as crazy as that sounds. John Morant may be a guy that could, at the end of this season, make first-team All-NBA, be an MVP finalist, and win Most Improved Player all in the same year. And with you having that kind of an argument, as well as being probably the most indefensible on-ball guard this season, I mean, Harden has taken a step back. Luka, who knows if he's fully healthy and or in shape. Maybe it's John Morant who's been a guy that, I am yet to see a guy that can actually move his feet and stay in front of him. If Matisse Theibel is the only player that can move their feet and stay in front of him, yet he's still a guy that Morant shoots better than 50% at the rim, shoots better than 50% from the mid-range, and is now shooting a career best, and almost as well from three as, you know, Steph Curry, the greatest shooter ever, that's good enough for me to make second team All NBA. And the Grizzlies have been fantastic the whole year.
0: And the warning signs, you know this best Utah versus Memphis, where Josh scoring 40 points. And this is even with the horrible three pointer. And look at this. He's shooting like above league average from three on good volume. And he's been better than ever. He was a close candidate. So I have him on my All NBA second team guard. He almost made the first team. I think Trey Young just for me. The, the hawk sucks standpoint I, he edged that out a little bit but same agreement there we both have him second team my other guy's luca now this is one of those where it's like eh, like he hasn't been the best all year but hey he's still averaging a near triple double dallas is a top team in in the western Conference they're at number five right now they've been on the up and up and i think this is a case of You know, it's the LeBron factor where he's just been good before and he's still going to be good and he's putting up the good numbers and we know what the impact is. Is it disappointing? Yes, because he should be an MVP candidate right now. He came into the season as an MVP favorite and he's not even on our ballot. Like, think about that. So with that said, he's on my guard spot for the second team. And then this leads us into the gauntlet that is the All-NBA 13 guard which at this point you might as well flip a quarter. Here are the names I considered, by the way, real quick, in no particular order before we move on with our picks. In no order whatsoever, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, Darius Garland, James Harden, Drew Holiday, who's quietly been very good, Fred Van Fleet, LaMelo Ball, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Damian Lillard, Kyle Lowry, CP3. And that is probably missing a couple of guys too. Might I add that is at least fifteen names there, and I've got two spots of So I will let you take the floor first. Who are the last two spots on the All NBA thirteen guard?
1: So my third team All NBA guards feature two of the guys that you just mentioned, and that's Donovan Mitchell as well as Chris Paul.
0: Oh my we- God, we got I got the same guy, the same guys.
1: Oh, wow, <laughs> are you <man>. serious? <laughs> Okay, that means that we're probably thinking about the same reasons. Real
0: quick, of course, out of all the things we get right on this pod, it's the freaking All-NBA team 13 guards that I thought was the hardest pick. So make the case.
1: (laughs) So I thought the forwards were the hardest pick, as I mentioned before. But the reason that I have both of these two here is because I think that their play styles match each other the best in terms of playing on and off the ball. Mitchell has gotten better this season in terms of his half-court point guard play as well as his rim finishing. The reason why he has not made an All-NBA team before is because he's been quietly in a below-average rim finisher, especially in the regular season. He's now close to 64%, which would put him essentially on the same level as John Morant or Kyrie Irving or Derrick Rose from his MVP season. Players of that caliber who are smaller guards who have been able to rise above especially tall guys and finish over them at the rim then alongside that Chris Paul is doing his same exact stuff every year only his score numbers are slightly down which is why he would definitely lose the argument to me to Ja Moran and Trey Young for second team but he's played more than Booker he has played better than Jalen Brown and has also played more than Jalen Brown and His clutch time numbers this season, he's probably the second clutchest player in the entire league, only to DeMar DeRozan, who made first-team All-NBA for me. And I just think that with team success, as well as individual familiarity factor, we know that he's a guy that's about as well-trusted until maybe the conference finals of any player in the entire league. So as long as he's healthy, which he has been the whole year, I think that given COVID protocols... There's just a sense that he is more trustable than a lot of those other candidates that you just mentioned. Mitchell and Paul get the nods here for me.
0: I also went out CP3. It just feels weird to not have a Suns guy on the All NBA team when the Suns have been arguably the second best team in the entire league. So I think that stands out. And you forgot to mention DeAndre Aidens also missed like low-key half the season because of that, like some knee stuff early on. Then he missed some games a couple of weeks ago. Devin Booker started off super duper slow and he's just picked it up. So, I mean, Chris Paul at what, 36 or seven years old is still averaging a double-double. Like, like for the season, he's almost, I think he's leading the league in assists or he's like number two, but he's up there. So he's he was an easy pick for me. Donovan Mitchell's the tough one. You can make a case for Zach Levine on the same grounds as – that, hey, if the Bulls are really good, should they have two guys represented in the All-NBA? Drew Holiday, low-key, almost made it because I think, again, just quietly, just been very good, and he's been healthy. I think durability, the best availability is available, or the best ability is availability in the NBA, and he's been available. And it's kind of that, and that's, I will say, Kyle Lowry, the He family wanted to put him in because he's been so important, with Miami still being a top-four seed despite all the absences, but statistically, he just doesn't beat out to Donovan Mitchell. He looks so damn good. Like we'll we'll talk about this down the road, probably when near a postseason conversation, but I, I I've got a good feeling that he might do a Dwayne Wade impression this postseason. Something is telling me that he's got some high upside here.
1: So he certainly has the upside. I don't know about standing up on the podium and yelling at the crowd. Hopefully that's the case. That would be some a- some
0: game three Dallas Mavericks calls. <laughs>
1: I mean, I can see him already, you know, stirring the pot after driving and getting an and one at the rim. But hopefully <laughs> that happens. Now, I think the underrated thing about that comparison is people always say he's D-Wade with a three-point shot. For the first time, though, this season, he's actually been a rim finisher similar to D-Wade, which... The free throws is- are up.
0: He's shooting free throws now. Yes. Yeah.
1: He's, he's shooting and making a ton of free throws, but his free throw rate is basically where it was last season, where you're still thinking to yourself, he's not a guy that's going to go out and shoot 12 a game like Harden, but you would like to see those numbers slowly kind of recatch their fire and slowly, if hopefully not, but surely get closer to eight to 10 attempts a game. That just comes from him putting more and more pressure on the rim. And he's improved his half court offensive play when it comes to not just solely the crossover or step back three. He's, gotten better in terms of finishing at the rim and he's now converting a lot of those mid-range attempts where he would just come off of a screen and just pull up and you're kind of wondering when is that seasonal play going to take the next step Mitchell has and that's the difference between him going from an all-star to an all-NBA player
0: we'll start with you and then we'll conclude with me run down your all-NBA first team second team third team just as a final recap here
1: first team guards Stefan DeRozan First team forwards, KD and Giannis. And then I think the absolute unanimous pick for first team center is Nikola Jokic. Second team, I have John Trey as the guards. Then rounding out that lineup, I have Levine as well as LeBron and Gobert. And then on third team, Mitchell and Paul, which we both had were the two guards that made our third teams. Then I have Andrew Wiggins making a shocking and Completely bewildering appearance on this, alongside Draymond and Embiid in the front court.
0: So for mine, I have all NBA first team guards Steph Curry and Trey Young, forwards Duran and Giannis, and then like you said, Jokic clear center pick. Second team, I got John Luca uh, for the guards, forward LeBron and Demar, Gobert as the center, and then third team same guards as you and Mitchell and CP3, and then I got Tatum and Draymond, and then Embiid at the center. So, low-key, our only real disagreements here on the All-NBA was Andrew Wiggins over Jason Tatum for you, and then Zach Levine over, I guess, was it Luca
1: for Yeah, Luca on the second team.
0: Yeah, so other than that, though, we kind of had the same guys. So, we, we made it. We got to the All-NBA teams. <laughs>
1: we do. We have really the rough stretch we've now put in the rearview mirror. The only thing that comes next is watching us a couple of weeks from now totally regret these picks.
0: Yeah, I think the next good time to do this might be at the end of February because I think nothing will change probably between March and April. I don't think we'll see a Carl Malone 97 where, oh, then the media changes it around. I think once we, I think by the end of the trade deadline, as we get a couple of weeks after that, there'll be a clear understanding of who's going to be the best, without a doubt. So the MVP,
1: can... on the other hand, normally at this point in the season, there's two, maybe even three candidates that are ahead of the rest. Yeah. At this point though no, there's what six or seven guys that could all have a legitimate case
0: yeah this is one of the more competitive all M- or all mvp races i can remember you know what it kind of reminds me of it's uh i think 2000 is a good year because that okay. no 2006 part of me because that was the year where nash wins it on the dubious like back-to-back But Kobe has the thirty-five point game, uh, thirty-five point per game season. Dirk, the Mavs are the top two team. Duncan is still in the middle of his prime. I'm missing some East, like there was some Eastern guy, either Jason Kidd or Allen Iverson, that was in the top. That was was when
1: LeBron led the league in scoring. Yeah, LeBron
0: was. I remember LeBron was fourth or fifth in the ballot this year, and he led the league in scoring. And that was the year before they made the finals. So I'm kind of seeing similar vibes with that.